What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Tech in Shanghai podcast. This week on the show, I'm joined by the co-founder and CEO of ChinaScope, Tom Liu. ChinaScope quote applies big data technologies and methodologies to financial applications. Translation: They use machines to sift through an endless amount of data, so investors can use only the most relevant decision-making insights. As Tom proudly describes, it's a major step towards leveling the playing field between the old boys of the financial world and the average retail investor. In his view, the financial sector is in need of a serious shakeup and one that now appears to be inevitable, despite the industry's traditional resistance to change. Tom hopes that the future of finance is not only more fair and transparent, but that the technologies that will be introduced will serve to limit the excesses in wealth transfer that the financial system has created and coveted for so long. And begin a transition that will see the financial system supporting, in an ever more effective and flexible manner, value creation. It's an ambitious goal, but Tom seems ready for the challenge. I'm equally frustrated by the inertia of the financial system, but I'm hopeful that a fairly dramatic disruption may be on its way. And Tom and I have a fun time exploring what such a new paradigm might look like. We also get into Bitcoin, struggles of doing a fintech startup in China, how Tom would currently invest a hundred thousand dollars in the Chinese stock market. The impact AI may soon have, and lots more. It's a bit of a long one, but if big data, machine learning, AI, fintech, and Bitcoin are up your alley, I highly recommend you check out this episode. So, without further ado, my conversation with the founder of ChinaScope, Tom Liu. Welcome to the Tech in Shanghai podcast, the pearl of the Orient. Shanghai is the city of the future. All systems go full steam ahead. It never stops. Technology, innovation, ambition—it's everywhere. Join us as we explore this new world and talk to the people making it happen. The Tech in Shanghai podcast—the future is now. So, Tom, thanks for joining me. How you doing, John? We finally got rocking and rolling here after、uh, I finally found you guys out here in northern, kind of middle of nowhere, Shanghai, and、uh, yeah. bore, bore the、uh, construction sites to get out here. Yeah,、um, temperatures a bit cooler up here in the north. Yeah, versus the rest of Shanghai. Though、yeah. it was a decent day to walk around today. It finally seems like a bit of summer is coming through. Yeah.、Um, so, Tom. For people that are listening、uh, that aren't familiar with you, you are the founder and CEO of ChinaScope Financial, right? Yeah. Well, we changed our name to ChinaScope Limited.、Um, we started off as ChinaScope Financial, but want to encompass more things for the for future development. So、right. we changed just to ChinaScope、okay. Limited. Yeah. So fintech、uh, is an extremely hot industry globally right now,、mm-hmm. and I think there's a lot of interest、uh, in fintech and related services and companies within China as well because there's so much potential、yeah. for so many different reasons, which ho- hopefully we can get into today. But maybe you can just bring us up to speed on what China Scope is, what it does, and how you wound up here in 2016 doing this kind of stuff. Sure.、Um, well, just a little background on myself. I、um, I went to the University of Michigan. Uh, Ross School of Business for undergrad,、uh, did investment banking in the Fit Group at Credit Suisse versus Boston in New York, and then in Hong Kong. So that built up a,、uh, a background for me,、uh, a background that's focused on studying financial institutions.、Mm-hmm. So banks, insurance companies, exchanges,、um, financial technology. Back in the day, we used to call it fintech. So payment companies and、uh, and Uh, you know, like so back then, which is payment companies like PayPal, right?、Um, 
that's that was pretty much it right so <laughs> pretty, pretty simple job then yeah yeah it wasn't it wasn't you know as prolific uh, prolific as it, as it is today yeah um but it gave me a very solid understanding of of how the financial system works mm-hmm. um and uh after that i started chinascope um what chinascope today is about is building uh machine learning using data to help uh, advance financial services to uh, the general public, mm-hmm. right? Um, we we service you know institutions as well, but the idea is the game of finance has been rigged for so long by the equivalents of Wall Street. So there's Wall Street, um, Central in Hong Kong, Lu Jiazui here in Shanghai, like mm-hmm. in London, um, and that was something that you know people try to tackle after financial crisis and they try to do it um, by regulation. But to me, it seems like regulation would never be able to catch up to the uh, the you know the the guys who who play on Wall Street because you just you just don't have the resources, you just don't have the same level of uh, of people talent to mm-hmm. compete with. But the way that we want to do this, I think the way to compete is by using today's technology and as technology progresses further into the future, take take that technology and data and disseminate information and, and put it together. Uh, into a system that helps, that replicates what Wall Street elites have been doing for the past 100 years mm-hmm. and give that tool to the general public. So the, 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 the analogy I like to, I like to uh, use is Wall Street has traditionally been sort of, you know, racing Ferraris, right? And everyone else has been like driving donkey carts. Uh-huh. Um, and I think a lot of the focus today has been how to, how to service these institutions better um, by essentially making these Ferrari engines even more powerful. Mm-hmm. But what we want to do is by giving a Ford to every single person. And that essentially will change the entire landscape because, yeah, you not you never bridge the gap between a Ford and a Ferrari um, at the highest levels of speeds, mm-hmm. but that's where regulation comes in. Right. If you see how traffic works, most of the time Ferraris and, and, and Fords and Toyotas are traveling right next the same to each street, other, <laughs> right? Because you have your street lights, you have your traffic laws, and yeah. that's where regulation should be by setting these general limited amount of uh, you know um, uh, barriers mm-hmm. that essentially says, okay, in this particular space, everyone has what seems to be an equal uh, footing in, in the game. But if you want to drive out into the desert, right? <laughs> sure. You can you can speed, and the desert in this analogy would be some exotic area of higher risk, unregulated, type of, yeah, unregulated space. Yeah. yeah, you can do that, right? But not a lot of Fords are driving out in, into the desert. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so if you want to venture into those areas, fine. But in the general space of general investing, that you know, stocks and bonds, um, and futures, you know, pretty vanilla stuff, right? Yeah. We want to bring innovation. We want to take technology and use data, and uh, and and build systems that will make the average Joes more competitive, mm-hmm. a lot more competitive. Now, how we started was we started as a pure data company that um, that focused on providing China-focused information to financial institutions. Mm-hmm. It wasn't very exciting. It was it was we saw an opportunity because at the time the institutions we were providing for were uh, international institutions who did not ha- have a very solid understanding of what's happening in China, um, and the domestic Chinese data providers 
they um, the the profession the the level of professional um, standard on the data is uh, you know is not really up to par to the what the international guys were looking at. So we saw this arbitrage opportunity of providing Chinese information to international players, um, and we did okay, you know, on that. But it was, but then we started in two thousand nine. In two thousand eleven, um, you know, I saw that where the uh, the economy was going, where technology was going, how data was proliferating at a rate uh, at a um, geometric growth rate, mm-hmm. right? So what used to be extremely difficult and valuable to actually access information, um, uh, going forward every single year, you know, that value it was, was, um, was deteriorating because the amount of information that was available for free was, uh, was growing at an exponential rate. Right. So, so then the thesis is this. If you want to keep on providing just data, right, um, you are essentially trying to ride out the tail end of what was, you know, valuable of the 20th century, mm-hmm. something that's a valuable business model of the 20th, 20th century. But just like, you know, um, film was going to be, you know, weeded out by digital cameras, um, the business of paying, of, of charging people for raw data, right, is going to be out of business. Mm-hmm. And that stuff should be free. And what should be what, should, what you should charge for is actually the intelligence that's coming from data. Right. So imagine like a second, third degree of derivative inf- uh, intelligence that's coming out of uh, fundamental data itself. Mm-hmm. So as time goes on, um, if you're building the pyramid, uh, think about this as a pyramid. So the fundamental data is the bottom layer, right? So that should be free yeah. in, in the 21st century, in, in the next couple of years. And then as you, the next layer will be sort of a first degree type of uh, derivative uh, knowledge generation from that information, and you're charging for that. Mm-hmm. But as time goes on, that becomes free as well. Mm-hmm. And then, because knowledge builds on itself, yeah. right? And, you know, as you take the technology of uh, that we have today, such as big data technology, um, the, the technology that you can have for storing information, the amount of cost that takes the store to run information is, is deteriorating at such a fast rate. So now we're at a time where we can actually use um, information and use uh, models and uh, and use the uh, technology that is available to build um, paradigms that were never available to us before. Mm-hmm. Now, and we are and we're doing that. And essentially, it's perfecting decision making from a quantitative uh, way. Yeah. Right. Now, a lot of people think about quantitative investments in the. Uh, in the same sense as, well, look, these are machine-driven type of, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a subcategory of investing, mm-hmm. and it's driven by a machine, and it's got, you know, it's shortfalls, and it's very clear. It is rigid. You know, it doesn't have the flexibility of, um, of the human mind, mm-hmm. right? And, and people keep on saying invest, investing is more of an art than a science, but what we want to do is to make indeed and more certainly into more of a science than it's an art. Mm-hmm. And the reason why that is, if you think about how the human mind works, it is actually a quantitative process. You hear some information, you you first you gather that information by the auditory nerves and you know the the natural designs of your biology. But once it gets in your head, you start to assess it based on your past experience. Mm-hmm. And what that process is 
is essentially running a model, a regression model, right? Fitting new data into old data sets. And then using that by, after you generate that re regressionary decision-making process, you sort of form a predictive uh, analysis of what's gonna happen in the future. And decide, okay, what are the chances of that particular thing would happen um, the 50, above 50% or below 50%, right? Yeah, there is a good, uh, you know, there's a good chance that this will happen, that you do something. If it's not, then you don't do it. Mm -hmm. It is a very simplified quantitative model, right? But the human mind is one of the most um, easily tricked <laughs> machines in the world, right? Because the way that it's built, it is, the, the biology behind that, the genetics behind that is, it's, we're still using the same brain that we used when we we're hunting, you know, in, as our ancestors did mm -hmm. on, in the Serengeti, right? It's the same brain because evolution happens at a very slow pace, mm -hmm. but technology over the past couple of centuries have been happening and growing at a such an accelerating rate mm -hmm. that it's outstripping the way that our brains are built to assess information and handle information. So the heuristics that are built into the, our decision-making process makes our decision-making process flawed. Mm -hmm. Now, there were, before the 21st century, there were very limited amount of tools for, to help you to, to, um, to help you, um, you know, fix that, that downside of the biological way of reasoning, mm -hmm. right? Now we have statistics, we have, uh, we have a bunch of new sciences that help us to, to to perfect our way of thinking, but let's take statistics for uh, for an example. What big data is, it's using statistics, but before we could only handle samples, right? Because the, the processing power of processing large amounts of information takes a long time, mm -hmm. right? But today, we actually have the processing power to do that. So, so, the, so we no longer have to handle um, to, we no longer have to infer uh, what happens to large populations based on examinations of samples, but we can actually grow the exa examination of samples to get closer and closer to the actual population size, mm -hmm. which means that the, the, the accuracy of our application of statistics has, uh, has, is growing tremendously, mm -hmm. right? Now, imagine if you have a brain that, can, that is devoid of bias, it's devoid of memory loss, all right, it's the it's and then you can you can process information not just one information simultaneously but hundreds of uh, lines of information simultaneously. Mm -hmm. Why would you not use that tool, mm -hmm. right? So that's what we're saying. We're saying that um, artificial intelligence and machine learning is a field where it is advancing every other field, right? right? But finance somehow is is lagging behind. Uh -huh. It is a it is a place where <laughs> Still, it's largely largely controlled by old school club boys, right, right on right. Wall Street, yeah. right. And we want to change that. Want to want to take what's happening in the rest of the world, in, the, in other industries like biotech, mm -hmm. like what like like what Google did with with uh, with AlphaGo, mm -hmm. right. Mm -hmm. Want to apply that to finance, right. And ultimately, when we do this right, and and I think if it's not us, it's going to be someone else, mm -hmm. right. Ultimately, people shouldn't really be spending that much time on finance. That should be just a, uh, a, a, 
basic status quo. People innovation shouldn't be at the financial level. Mm -hmm. It should be at the industrial level. So finance should be really a reflection of its of the underlying value of the industries that it's uh, that's it, it's representing, mm -hmm. right? So then, when that happens, the um, you know the exorbitant amount of money that Wall Street's making should go away, mm -hmm. right? And and that's what we're doing. We are we're looking at Wall Street, um, and when I say Wall Street, it's a very broad concept, right. like all finance financial right, right. institutions in the world. We look at Wall Street. We look at it again as a pyramid. Where at the, the lowest level are the, uh, the, the analysts, and then you have the associates, the VPs, and the directors, and the MDs, and the partners. And layer by layer, from bottom up, we're replacing their jobs, mm -hmm. right? So, and then we're looking to the functions of what they do, right? And then we, uh, we have systems that can do better. Mm -hmm. And no, look, we're still a long way away, um, but there are clear signs of, of progress that we've made, and significant progress we've made in the past few years. Yeah. So you just touched on a bunch of things I want to revisit in a moment um, that are that are very very interesting. But just to to sum up, China scope. Yeah. Right. So if I was to say, or to, if someone was to ask you, what does China scope do? So working primarily on the retail side. So we 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 built an engine. Right. Right. It's, we call to it provide, uh, the China scope data engine. Yeah. Right? So we take in data. We structure the data. We we apply. Um, uh, methodologies of, of, of apply various different models, mm -hmm. right, uh, across different fields, mm -hmm. uh, such as natural language processing, uh, such as you know big data calculations. Uh, we use a lot of data science uh, technologies in the space, and what we do with this this engine is we build various products on top of it, and these products ultimately serve the uh, the general public, right. retail. Public. So to kind of even the playing field with the people at the top of the pyramid that you were just referring to, yeah. right? So in Wall Street, et cetera, so that retail investors can have a, a big, a better fighting chance against yes. their counterparts in uh, quote unquote uh, status quo or, or yeah. establishment. So, so and you're using highly advanced machine learning and and data driven insights and stuff like that to provide these retail investors with. Better resources on with which to make investment decisions. Yes, yeah. we're, we're we're doing this, but I think uh, I don't want to mislead people to think that we're just we're just working with a retail yeah. um, uh, investing uh, base, right? Because obviously they're a part of the of the system of the ecosystem, mm -hmm. and institutions are still extremely integral in this ecosystem. Mm -hmm. And what we're doing is we're providing information, we're providing our systems and our data to the institutions as well, mm -hmm. right? And we're replacing the um, the the jobs in institutions with technology, yeah. right? And so we so it's a it's a pull and push. Uh, we have these levers that we're being uh, that we're pulling and pushing. So ultimately, institutions, the people who are working these institutions. There is no need to pay them exorbitant amount of uh, bonuses because <laughs> their jobs can be done much cheaper, much cheaper, right? right? And the same thing that we're providing to them, we're repackaging them into much easily stomachable um, uh, solutions right. to the retail base. Yeah. And then we're getting people from these institutions. They are also our users, right? They can come out and establish, you know, uh, entrepreneur, entrepreneurial. Um, uh, stations themselves yeah. and use our tools to provide service to, to the retail space. So no longer is this institution one camp and retail another camp, mm -hmm. and then 
but we are essentially dissecting them into much finer um, categories of, uh, of people. So institutions can broke down into finer, smaller, more competitive, mm-hmm. more value-focused institutions, right, using our, infor- our stuff. Right. So yeah. it's, it's, a, it's essentially the synthesis of actionable data from a sea of inactionable, unclear data that's just out there, yeah. right? So as you mentioned, not only do you, do you collect d- data and not only do you collect relevant data that might be hard to find for most people or hard to source, but you take that all down and distill it into something that a retail investor or an institutional investor or s- anywhere in between there can use to invest, construct their finances more effectively. Yes. Is that a fair yes. way of putting yeah, it? Yeah, that's right. So when I walked in here in the, in the office today, I saw 75 to 100 guys on mm. computers. You mentioned a lot of uh, what are these days very catchy terms like machine learning, data analytics, uh, fintech. Mm. And you, you, you rightly, I think, pointed out that fintech is one of those areas that seems r- not only ripe for disruption, but one that has kind of staved off that for a long time. Yeah. And, and, and we still have the very antiquated... Uh, structures in place in, in the financial system around the world, and right. it seems like those are beginning to change with you know, from all angles from 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 the machine learning angle from the data mm. angle from potentially cryptocurrency angles and right. all, and all those other things so what you, you mentioned how these things are evening the playing field, but there are examples in the past where you know fintech has tip the scales even further in, in the other, in like, let's say, the institutional direction. So let's mm-hmm. say high-frequency trading. You know, mm-hmm. that, that has probably tipped the scales further in favor of right. existing establishment right. institutions, right? But it seems like, in general, technology, the democratization of technology is decentralizing things so right. that more power is coming into the hands of the individuals. Right. So... How are you? How specifically? And don't, I don't want you to go too deep into this because mm-hmm. myself and probably most people listening won't be able to understand it to a point. But right. how specifically are you engaging something like machine learning mm. um, to to do that? What we just talked about to distill all the data that you that you compile into yep. something that's actionable. Like what what does that even mean? Just bring it down um, into English for us. Okay. So so a lot of data comes in in the unstructured or various forms of structures, mm-hmm. right? And from the beginning, we have to spend, we spend a lot of manual labor to sort of launder the, uh, the data. Mm-hmm. Um, now, you have, because we'll get data from, let's take um, online, uh, list of companies, mm-hmm. right? So let's say list of companies. And this is a very sort of simple uh, thing that that we do, um, companies are broken down into industry classifications, mm-hmm. right? So company A will make computers, so they'll be like in uh, in computer hardware. Company B will be in waters uh, purifying. Mm-hmm. But if you the the companies that actually establish industry classifications, you you know you have a few well known ones. So there's global industrial classification uh, scheme, which is published by jointly published by S and P. And uh, MNCI, right? And so that is sort of the the gold standard in industry classification. Mm-hmm. Now there are various others. So in China, there is a CSRC. They have their own. Uh, they have their one. There's Shenyang Wangu. They have their own system. Yeah. But they're more or less largely very similar. Now, the problem with industry classification when you apply to companies is that 
number one, companies, you're assuming that companies only have one business, right, mm -hmm. in that particular industry classification. But oftentimes companies don't. Case, yeah. That's not the case. Number two, when companies actually change their business mix, right, you will find that there is a significant lag time in industry classification reflecting that change. In the, the app, you, when you apply the industry, class, industry classification to those companies, there is significant lag time to when the companies change their business mix and the industry classification change with them as well. Mm -hmm. And also, like when you have forty percent of the time a company makes, uh, you know, sweatshirts, the other sixty percent of the time the company is like uh, mining for gold. Right. What is that? Is, is that an apparel company or is that a uh, is that a mining company? Uh -huh. Right. So, the. What, what, what happens with that is, the implication of that is oftentimes people, when they think they're investing in certain industries, and especially when they have a portfolio. And doing so based on their perception of macroeconomic trends or wanting to right, be involved exactly. in those industries. So they have an investment thesis, yeah. right? So they're saying that, okay, um, for example, the, um, a lot of people think that we are at the bottom of a oil cycle, right. right? So a lot of people are thinking, hey, maybe it's time to get in. Now, if you are an investor, now, if you're an investor who just studies oil, mm -hmm. right, then that's, you have no problem with that. But let's say if you're someone like a, a layman. Your right? average retail investor. I want to I invest in oil, right? And I'm building a portfolio on oil. How do I know like, these are oil companies, mm -hmm. right? And how do I, and there, how do I know that? Because you just take that for granted, right? Mm -hmm. Like, okay. Uh, you look at, you download information from like, you know, Google Finance or Bloomberg, and you're like, okay, these are, this company belongs to the oil industry, right? Mm -hmm. So you, you download them, and then you just take it for granted that these are oil companies. But maybe if you look at their revenue makeup or their reserve makeup, right, their, their business risks are not really apples to apples matching to right. oil, right. right? So essentially, if you want to achieve a certain beta or a certain alpha return, thinking that that's the area that you invested in, but you really are not. Mm -hmm. So you're being misled mm -hmm. tremendously. And in order for, for investors to go vet this out one by one, it takes tremendous amount of energy, really? right? So what we've done is we actually have standardized, we, we've changed the way that people, we think about um, industry classification. Now, first is we, we take existing industry classification gigs and we, we expand it into much, much finer um, or more granular um, categories. Mm -hmm. So instead of stopping at um, at uh, commercial uh, at uh, industrial uh, chemicals, right? Yeah. We actually break it down all the way to what type of chemicals they actually are. Mm -hmm. So we 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 are expanding the uh, the we're vertically expanding the traditional industry classifications. Number two, we we have figured out we look at the um, the business lines of each company. And we have standardized these business lines mm -hmm. to match up with the expanded industry classifications. Now, that is initially extremely manual labor type of work, mm -hmm. right? Because companies will call different things the same name or the same thing different names. And sometimes they will call things like steel. I mean, are you a steel importer or are you a steel producer, mm -hmm. right? So these have different meanings so you have to go into each one of the companies documentation into their research reports and figure out what they actually do mm -hmm. and once you figure out essentially you create an entire dictionary 
of all the different things that's relating to these companies, right, for what they actually do, mm -hmm. right? And in the beginning, this is extremely manual, right? Yeah. So we built this out. We spent many years doing this. We spent uh, the first draft of this um, of this system. We spent about two years building, uh -huh. right? Just just doing this. No product implications. Nothing. It's just fundamental. When you say detail. building this, is it building an algorithm or a system of? No, it's just creating the links, creating the uh, the connections between these data points mm -hmm. and making and standardizing them, structuring them. Right. Right. And then there's there's no during those two years there's very little application of that. There's zero application of that because unless you get to a certain level of of structure, right, it is useless. Right. Right. Um, but when you say structuring those data points, for those of us that are complete tech, you know, it, it, it's over our heads. So just working on, on when you say structuring those data points, is it that you're building that framework on which you will then derive insights? Yes. So the right. basic fr framework. So if you can think about it, is it's basic, base, basic uh, level one logic mm -hmm. of things. So, um, you know. Two so companies, they're both make uh, they're both producing steel, yeah. right? They're in their financial reports. They have a very different way of disclosing that that particular uh, activity they're doing, right. producing steel. We have to make sure that we link that together. That those two things, even though it's extremely differently explained, they mean the same thing. Right. So that logic connection has to. Is, is established in, in the beginning, right. right? So kind of taking the mud out of the water. Like if you could yeah. imagine water that you step in, it's all muddy. Just taking that out so that you can see the picture more clearly. Right. So then you start doing that. So <clears throat> after iterations of that, so then what we did, so finally the first level of intelligence coming from that is if you type in any company, I immediately tell you which business lines they're, they're in uh -huh. and the, what percentage of contribution those business lines give to its entire its entire revenue makeup mm -hmm. and you click on any one of those business lines it gives you like all the other companies <clears> are doing that and then tells you like the same sort of data um, comparisons on that mm -hmm. so then what we do what we did was we start building comps all right so it, a concept in, in finance what a lot of people do and spend a lot of time they're doing financial uh, services uh, companies like investment banks and hedge funds and private equity firms is they're trying to derive value for companies. Mm -hmm. So one of the key ways to derive value is to see what their competitors are trading at, mm -hmm. right? So we call these trading comps, right? And the way to sort of determine which companies fall into the comp group, right, comparables group, is based on <clears throat> really what they actually do. So an analyst will spend a day, you know, if, especially if they're looking into an area they're not familiar with. To see, okay, what companies are actually in this in this comp group, right? Mm -hmm. So they built this together and say, okay, on these in in oil space, all the oil companies that are trading at you know ten times PE, right? So that should be the range at which like the company that I'm interested in should be valued at roughly, mm -hmm. right? And if it's overvalued, then I should short it. If it's undervalued, I should long it. Mm -hmm. So that that particular exercise has been extremely manual, right? Um, comp selection. So what we did was after we completed that, all you need to do is type in a, the company that you're interested in and tells you, okay, what do you want to compare? 
So if they have if it has five different businesses, mm-hmm. pick the business you want to actually com- want to compare, mm-hmm. and then it will pick out all the companies that actually has that particular exactly the same business line, mm-hmm. and then look at their valuations and tell you okay which ones you want to weed out because the revenue contribution from that business is too low, mm-hmm. right? Which one should remain the comp set? So it reduced what used to be an, an extremely laborious, um, you know, set of uh, set of work that would take many, many, many hours into one minute. Click. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And why, why did you, why China for, for this particular business? Uh, this obviously has applications in all financial markets everywhere. Mm. So why did you decide to get going on this in China and well, focus on China? Well, originally, uh, we started this just to build a, a database for international people to look into China. Right, because there was a lot of interest in yeah. Chinese financial markets. So when I, but then when we did our pivot, our business pivot, right, yeah. so we're using the base of what we had. So, so we said, okay, well, look, um, we don't have to scrap our China focus, right, but what we can do is make the China focus – a, um, a standard from which, like, we can build out a global standard, mm-hmm. right? The thesis behind that is, as China um, grows, continues to grow in uh, in cloud globally, mm-hmm. right? And as money starts to flow out of China into, you know, in, in to turn to FDI into other countries, mm-hmm. they're going to want to look at things from their perspective, right? Right. Now, if you think about international standard. There is, there really is not a pure, you know, uh, pure independent third-party international standard. It's mostly American standard that has been internationalized yeah. through the application and through the spreading of American um, products and American services, mm-hmm. right? So what we're saying, okay, well, this thing obviously has a global appeal, mm-hmm. right? Well, let's use China as a base. And we, we, we let's build out the structure out to everywhere else. Mm-hmm. So we, we even though we're called China Scope um, today, we don't cover just China. We cover the U.S. We cover uh, Hong Kong, mm-hmm. and then we're going to very soon cover um, Japan and Europe. Right. And it's all based on the same structure. Yeah. Yeah. You're just building on top of that. Yes. And 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 modifying it for regional or or, or different markets. Yes. To some degree. But you. On a re- in terms of the retail customers and clients you're hoping to attract right now, yeah. is it primarily Chinese? Like your website yes. is in Chinese yes. and things like that. Yes. Um, and why is that? Well, a couple of reasons. Well, number one, uh, the the structure of China's capital markets is very retail driven, mm-hmm. whereas in the U.S. it's very institutional driven. Right. So the the distance between retail and institutions they're much closer in China than they are in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why it's more economically uh, sort of expedient to service a, in the, uh, you know, a market where retail has a, has a lot of clout, mm-hmm. right? But we are going to very soon we're going to service this into the U.S., right? Because one of the things we're doing is we're, we we've already built a um, a quantitative platform investment platform where you no longer have to code, know how to code. If you have some rudimentary understanding, like high school understanding of math and statistics, mm-hmm. right, in 20 minutes you should be able to trade using quant methodologies to, to, to put together investment strategies just like a pro would, mm-hmm. right? Um, we are making quantitative investments. I will bring the quantitative investments from the age of DOS into the age of Windows. Mm-hmm. And I think that 
you know, that's going to have a much broader appeal. Yeah. So all college grads should be able to use this, right? Uh-huh. And yeah, there's still going to be, the, this still has certain barrier of entry for the real, you know, sort of um, salt of the earth type of uh, investors. Yeah. But it's okay. But those people that were, that that's going to be using that platform, they will connect directly to the general public. Mm-hmm. So instead of having a handful of institutions that are serving the general public, essentially you are you are democrat uh, democratizing that knowledge to the people from you know to, to a lot more people right. with capability, yeah. and they no longer have to work in these institutions. Right. So effectively, a lot of smaller institutions. Yeah, much like what Alibaba did to uh, to retail right. s- stores. With Taba. Right. Yeah. And what what has been the response from the domestic Chinese market? Because they're notor, especially over the last couple of years, notoriously, uh, well, the the story of the Chinese financial markets is well documented. There's been a mm. lot of volatility. You know, you, you, you if you're on the subway, you could see people looking down at their phones, and it doesn't matter if they're 14 years old or 64 years old, and they're looking at charts yeah. of stocks and stuff. What has the response been to the platform and services you're providing with the the retail investor in China? What the stuff we're providing is still relatively new. Mm-hmm. I mean, this isn't something we've been doing for a long time. Yeah. Um, on a the the engine, it took us six years to build that engine, right? So I have no comprehension of what you know what that means. You know, I, under- yeah. I understand it's a lot of work, and I understand if you know all those guys out there in the yeah. in the in the other room, and all I see is lines of code on their desk. I mean, yeah. I have no idea the kind of work that goes into that, but I imagine it's a gargantuan effort. So, so the way the, the analogy I like to make is. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, if I like to make like a kung fu analogy, uh-huh. so it's like in kung fu, um, the the best guy, the, the the best kung fu guy is the guy who's been like squatting, like for the longest time, because he's got the most solid legs, he's got the best chi and everything. He, he doesn't have to be the guy who has like the most flamboyant like moves, uh-huh. right? But it's always the guy who's got the best foundational, um, you know, kung fu. Right, yeah. like the simple That's foundational, foundational strength, strength yeah. to, to, to deliver like the, the the hardest punch, right? Uh-huh. So that's what we were doing. We were being squatting for like for six for six years, uh-huh. and only through last year, like a lot of these products are coming out. Yeah, now, we're getting two types of receptions so far. In still in the early days of what we're doing, yeah. right? Um, of of the the product sort of, uh, um, you know, on on the product end, mm-hmm. uh, the, on the product delivery end. We're still, we're still in early days, and um, and we're getting two types of reception. There are the people who don't believe in, you know, they don't believe in in change of the Chinese market. They think China, the China market is some sort of uh, uh, animal that is completely separated from the rest of the world, mm-hmm. right? And it has its own means of uh, of operation, its own means of uh, of survival, mm-hmm. and it doesn't play by by the rules. By the same rules of physics that it seems to govern everything out, right, any, everything right. else in the world. Yeah. Um, um, and they also think that you know, uh, scientific methodologies will never be able to be applicable in China, right? Okay. And then there are the people who who agree with us, say, look, it's going to be inevitable, right? It's just about uh, it's just about like how fast it's going to be adopted, mm-hmm. right? Um, th- if you believe that. China has a future as a global powerhouse. Mm-hmm. You f- must believe there will be order in its financial markets, mm-hmm. right? Otherwise, it will never. Your first thesis will never realize, right? Right. Um, 
And also, if you think that technology, if people, if you think technology is, is accelerating at an exponential rate, right? And people don't like to think in exponential sort of uh, trajectory. It's not natural way, for them right? to think in that they way. think linearly, right? Right. But if you look at, <clears throat> if you actually plot out the future based on the trajectory, the exponential tra trajectory in the past, very soon it's not hard to actually come to the realization it gets that. crazy. Technology will take will take over every single aspect of your life mm -hmm. very soon, and it seems to be bizarre mm -hmm. that finance will still be in the Stone Ages. Yeah, right. Now, I think the reason why the first group of people, uh, you know, believe that, I mean, is because number one, I don't think they want to believe in the diminishing of human value into the future because mm -hmm. it's extremely scary for them. Un yeah, it's uncomfortable. Yes. Yeah. But also, I think they're not realizing there is a flaw in their logic, mm -hmm. right? Um, you know, it w th that that particular idea has time and time again be, be uh, you know, proven wrong, mm -hmm. right? And um, and but yet again, but then time and time again, they still hold on to the same, you know, disproven thesis that they <coughs> they have. You know, it was impossible for computers to be put into every single person's house. It's impossible for people to be, to leave stores actually buy things online. It mm -hmm. was impossible like, you know, it was impossible for a machine to 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 uh, defeat a human in chess than in Go and in in uh, Jeopardy, yeah. right? So all these impossibles have become not only possible but extremely, you know, extremely, ex widely accepted and it, it's, become, it's become the new standard. Right. Right? So that's why I I just I just think look it's okay if you know you have the initial group of people yeah. you know you never have uniform level of adoption but slowly when things become uh, when th when the new ideas you know become the mainstream mm -hmm. right the rest of them will have to follow suit yeah. because if they don't well you know the good this thing is human life has a, a finite. <laughs> not of years, you know. <laughs> well, that and the, the competitive advantage gap becomes too great, you know, and you kind of, you know, I had a discussion about this with somebody recently, but, you know, we still, you know, if maybe our grandparents, I don't know about yours, but my grandparents have never used a computer, right? right? So it's, it's funny to think because you and I, we think we engage in, or we, we probably see ourselves as engaging in the upper echelon of the modern world. Like we mm. want to be connected, we want to know about what's happening, technology, all these things. And sometimes it's easy for, to forget that that isn't really objectively the world, it's mm. the world that we engage in. But right. for someone else, the world is still newspaper and cable TV and, yeah. and whatever else. And I, But I think to your point, because technology is accelerating at an exponential rate, didn't not becoming involved or not engaging or not adopting all these new technologies is, is becoming increasingly hard. But so what I'm saying is the imperative to do so is increasing at, with the rate of technology. So I think you can still avoid it. You can still not engage. But as we go along the next five years, the next 10 years, the next 20 years, there's going to be an increasing imperative to, to, to come along. But I think also my personal mm -hmm. opinion is that adoption will become easier as well. Like, yes. like what you're doing. You're, you're taking incredibly sophisticated, you know, six years of work by brilliant minds yeah. and distilling that into an into a engageable service that someone, as you said, with, some, with high school math or stats yeah. can engage in. So I think that's the good thing, that, that as the technology 
uh, exponentiates and grows, it's also becoming uh, more engageable by people that aren't technologically savvy or not, you know, technologically driven. The same, we, we can make so many analogies with our iPhone and all this kind of sure. stuff where, you know, even 10 years ago, who would have engaged in that? And now, you know, my mom does read the newspaper on, the, right. on her iPad and things like that. Um, one, one last question that I... Well, that I let me just to, to that sure, point. Sure. Um, the, I want to just add something to it. Uh, the reason why it, adoption will need to become uh, more... People will be more and more inclined to adopt new things mm -hmm. is because they're forced to. Because it becomes more and more costly for them not to. Right. Exactly. Right? So the bottom line... So if you want... if Let's say if you That's are, what I mean by that competitive gap, right? Absolutely. Like you can't afford not... Not to at some point. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, from a business perspective, if you really, you know, if you don't believe in um, <clears throat> using, uh, you know, the more sophisticated way, you don't believe in using cars to deliver goods, you, you want to stick it to, like, delivering on foot, right? Mm. You would never have the same business volume as the guy who's delivering by car. Yeah. Similarly, if you're a grandmother who doesn't want to use, uh, you know, Facebook, right? But then all the other grandmothers around you, they're having a much better relationship with their kids, mm -hmm. and then you show up at these gatherings, and suddenly you're like, oh, I don't have the same level of love for my grandson, <laughs> right? Competition is the is the key driver, yeah, right? Yeah. So so yes, it will become more costly. And the second example I gave, it becomes more emotionally cost, costly, emotionally more taxing. Yeah. So that's why it, it, will have, it will have to be that way. Right. Um, and I can see, even see, you know, even within financial, in the financial world, you know, even if you think, well, you can still hang on to your cash, but there's certainly some jurisdictions in the world where there's negative, negative real interest rates yes. right now, right? And being able to stave off that decline in the value of your savings by using by engaging technological methods to, yeah. you know, in, enhance your rate of return, is is a competitive advantage. Now, at the moment, maybe it's slight because those those two processes aren't that extreme. But right. who who knows how they could unfold in the future? Right. Um, what we, in China, it's it's notoriously, you know, people that are looking at China, try, you know, trying to assess investments and the markets and things like that. It's notoriously opaque. It's mm -hmm. notoriously hard to take all that information yep. or, or get the right information and then once you get it how do you distill it down into something that's actionable it sounds like the platform that you've built would be ex effective at doing that well am i right or wrong in, in that assessment? it's it there we are probably one of the most effective platforms right um and there are two reasons for that one is a more of a macro reason mm -hmm. uh the opacity of the information is actually clearing up every right. you know as time goes on, right? Regulation requires companies to to be better disclose uh, disclosures of their information, right? Um, the amount of information, uh, the quality is improving mm -hmm. constantly. So when I when I was doing investment banking and I first arrived uh, in Asia, looking at a Chinese company, it was in two thousand five, right? Compare that to what we have today, it's 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 not even comparable, yeah. right? It was rubbish back then. Um, but that's number one. So the, the general sort of uh, standard for disclosure is, is improving. But the second part is actually the interesting part. It's how you can the, – the, the volume and the different types of information that you can analyze now and the speed at which you can analyze the, that type of – those types of information has come a long way. Mm -hmm. So before – 
analyzing companies about financial analysis, looking through its financial reports, mm -hmm. right? That is the key part of your, your thing. But today, what we can do is we can look into news, uh, blogs, mm -hmm. right? Uh, financial filings, right? We can take a much more, there are a lot more dimensions of information portals where we can grab information from. Right, a lot more data points to a lot more data synthesize an insight of something. Yeah. yeah, and then these are, and the type of, you know, the type of ways that we analyze that information is different from the ways that we analyze financial information. Yeah. The technology used for that, they're different, right? Mm -hmm. They're crossovers, mm -hmm. they're fundamentals, so I would be able to use the foundational stuff that we built over here on the financial uh, uh, financial sector, um, I shouldn't say sector, on this financial like pool of uh, information that we gather, mm -hmm. and then we we use that as the foundation for the, um, for the non-structured data like news and, uh, and you know, blogs and all, all, all those things, right? Yeah. So, so for example, dictionary that we used over over on one end, we can use on the other end. Mm -hmm. But then we're going to use a lot more natural language processing, let's say, yeah. on the other end, right, to disseminate what that information actually means. How do we get sentiment from that? But that there, that's a whole new level of sophistication, right. and that's something that we have started doing that we haven't done for like six years. That stuff we've been doing for about two years, right? Right, and um, and that is still quite nascent in China alone. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, we are probably one of the leading companies in the in processing natural language uh, learning mm -hmm. in the financial space. Yeah. Right. I, I shouldn't say that for like everything else. Um, but if you look at China, a Chinese language based natural language learning and natural language processing, uh, NLP, it is much more difficult than English, because language structure is more complex, mm -hmm. and more so, and more importantly, because the the amount of years that's been devoted from a research perspective in this area has been a lot shorter than the amount of research that's been devoted to English-based language right. processing. Right. Um, so, so yeah. So when you take those two things together, right, the the general improvement of disclosure standard, right, and the ability to assess a much broader and, and even increasingly broader set of data um, around the world, um, you can actually sort of circumvent the, um, on a statistical basis, you can circumvent the individual shortfalls or, you know, or, you know, problematic data sets that's in the, uh, that's inherent in, in these, uh, in these data. Yeah. It, there seems like there's so many applications for, for this kind of stuff. When you're taking such huge amounts of data and you can, with machines, correlate it to mm -hmm. results and, and other things. You know, like you said, where it used to be, you know, the Warren Buffett and, and uh, what's his name, Fisher way, where yeah. it's like you, you, you look at the balance sheet, you look, you look at the books of the company, you look at the management, you make a decision. Right. And now, as you mentioned, there's infinitely more data on which to, to, to make investment decisions. And, I mean, it just all the different correlations that could be made there are so – I think would be so fascinating, and I think there's so much data, and to distill it down, uh, obviously a, a yeah. very, very big task. But the reason why I asked that question is because, in the final note on on kind of looking at it through the China lens, but I'll, you know, the China's GDP numbers and the quote mm. "How is China's economy doing?" question is all you know is always bantered around these days because right. you know if China's doing well, the world is staying above board. If China's right. doing poorly, then everyone's concerned. Does the, the platform that you've created, 
yeah. you know, and you sitting here in your office with everything on, on your mm. screen here. Do you have any better insight than what you observe in like the typical financial periodicals and publications and media in assessing China's economic growth or, or story on a macro basis? Like, can you look and say, actually, it's not what these people are saying or they people are saying. Based on our data, it's more like this. Um, I think I think we are still ways from that. Right. Um, we, we are right now. What we're focused on is the um, secondary market, so secondary capital markets. Mm-hmm. In order for that to happen, I mean, we're st- we, there are still need to be a lot more pieces that come in come in before we start to get a much broader view yeah. of the uh, of the general economy. I mean, no one really has a good read right on what's going on. In, because, because the world's so much more complicated now through globalization, right? The the sort of reactive nature of economies and um, and and financial systems, where one thing affects another, and through affecting the other, it sort of reiterates back to affecting the cause in the first place. And then the uh, the the scale of that has grown from what was closed off in a country to now a global system mm-hmm. there is no there's no real good model for that right now because we but but it's okay so people are still making inferences yeah right yeah. so through um, through uh, uh, experience right people are still making inferences and since no one can do a better job so there's still the thought leaders in this mm-hmm. people smart people in the world and, and we can model out different aspects of the economies <laughs> we can model out different aspects of the economy but to pull that all together into this over, you know, uh, encompassing thing, it's we're st- we're still far away from that. Yeah. Right. But it's okay. Yeah. It means that we have a lot of room for development, and um, and I think you know, it would be very scary if we're there today. Uh-huh. Right. You know, if we can get there in like 10, 20 years time, I'm happy with that. Right. Let's let's like just kind of spitball here for a second because yeah. I'm it, I kind of get getting the view and based on the work you're involved in and some of the things you mentioned already in our discussion you a fan or you you keep up on like AI related things or you know read about AI oh, I and do. kind of the trajectory of that kind of stuff I I I by no means an expert but I like to read whatever you know I I come across and I'm kind of when you were speaking I was thinking you know first step is taking all that data and using machine learning and some basic forms of AI to give mm. retail investors, humans, mm. more actionable, more accurate insight on which to invest. But mm. you mentioned like maybe five, maybe 10, maybe 20 years. Are we going to get to a point where it's like competing AIs mm. that are just, I mean, what, 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 what would the financial markets look like in, in 20 years, in your, in, in your view, knowing what you know, doing the work that in, you've done? In, in my view, um, in my view, there will be in the in my view. Hopefully, we'll get to a point where there is no arbitrage, mm-hmm. right? There's where where price um, mimics undermined value very closely, uh-huh. um, and the uh, so that the amount of effort to actually look for arbitrage will be so costly that it's not even worth doing, mm-hmm. right? And um, and and that would be a, a, a great system because what happens is when you have there's tremendous amount of capital that's being that's gambling the stock market mm-hmm. right when you when you because there's so much secondary gains to be to be to be made and so much 
um, it's 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 um, it, there's no real value creation there. It's right. value transfer. I want to ask you about it. Yeah. Right. So if you can take the amount of capital from the secondary markets fund at the end of the day, mm-hmm. right, and, you, and your system can essentially get to a point where the um, the status quo is is efficiently reflected, mm-hmm. right, in across all systems, right, and the the market is pushing so closely close, closely to the efficient frontier mm-hmm. where capital says, you know what, I'm not really going to find, you know, a better, m- home better return in the secondary markets. Right. And where they're going to go is to the primary markets yeah. where, in, where they're going to start finding real innovation, right, right uh, in real industries where, the, the, where people are making bets mm-hmm. on, on companies and industries um, and money is not being transferred between shareholders. Mm-hmm so much as it's being used for production. Yeah. Right? And I would like nothing more than to see see that happen because yeah. I think not only does it not concentrate capital in the hands of very few, but obviously, as you said, it puts the capital where it can be most productive in the right. hands of people that are innovating, that are providing right. products and services. But it also seems like m- machine learning and AI, and I gave the example of high-frequency trading earlier, right. can go in the direction of contributing more to that kind of World whirlwind of finance, where basically you have a ton of money circulating, mm-hmm. and then just kind of leeches stuck on every every little bit, taking out pieces of it, right? Whereas, as you said, no value is being created. Yeah. People are, are are just extracting capital right. or, or value from the system and not putting any ba- not putting much or any back into it. So I feel like the secondary market, its main purpose should be just providing liquidity, right? Right. Providing liquidity so that the s- stocks are freely tradable. Mm-hmm. So the stock of your investment is freely tradable. Right. So it's it's like currency. So, yeah, yeah. So, so people can choose what, what they're investing. But, but the, um, but they're not gambling. So in, in a perfect world, right? Um, if your if your pricing, right, tracks the actual inherent value, so closely, right, because it's because the model is able to predict how the companies do so much so much more accurately mm-hmm. than when then there is no overvaluation undervaluation mm-hmm. right because and the opinions will sort of converge yeah. much more closer and if that's the case then there really is no need for shorting right right because you short so there's there, then there's it becomes a, like kind of a a static movement like where is the liquidity in that sort of a world no you can long right, right. you can long right but you're longing something um, because you are the value from your, your investment comes from the actual production value right. of the business right right it's not from the fact that someone through euphoric um, <laughs> from, from because they're so euphoric about the uh, the price of the of the asset, yeah. and then they built a bubble into it, and then you short it, and mm-hmm. then, then when it collapses, you know, and then when it collapses, collapses, it goes the other way down. Then so, so the standard deviation around where the mean price, the actual inherent mean price should be, becomes narrower and narrower, right? Right, and then that squeezes out the speculation in that market, yeah. And then, and then you can bring that speculation back down. Where do you bring that? You look, I'm okay with speculation at the. Uh, at the uh, primary level, mm-hmm. right? Because they encourage people to take bets on entrepreneurship, right? Uh, innovation, yeah, right. That's fine. But it seems like it w- that that kind of a world would dramatically 
revision the way that people see value creation or investment gains, right? Because it it would be, as you say, investing you know much more transparently investing in the creation of value rather than yes simply the creation so, so, of profits for whatever. So no longer would you have would you see people, you know, celebrating um, a selling someone an investment product because they. They've just got another sucker on their right. Books. They're good sales guys, right? Yeah, yeah. So you, you know, that's you, the Wolf of Wall Street sort of thing should be should should be gone. And look, I think regulation does a lot to do that. Uh, does a decent job, but given the resources they have, but ultimately it's going to be technology that's going to be the real sentinels of the of the market. Yeah, I I look forward to a future where, you know, if you like, if I came through here today, right, you. Mm-hmm. China Scope's not a publicly traded company, but yeah. you know I had a good chat with you. I looked around the office. I like what you guys are doing. On the way out, I could just scan the QR code at your front desk, and yeah. I could, on on whatever market, I could have equity in the company. You know, like I could yes. support in that right. way, just on my phone, just scan sure. it, and then okay, I I have no, equity in great. the company. That would be great. And if I go to a coffee shop on the corner, right. even if they've only got one spot, same thing. You know, right. just like completely decentralized, and you're putting money where you want it to support. Sure. And I want I want to support your guys' work because I believe in yeah. what you're doing. You know, like, wouldn't that be cool? That's it's great. I mean, there are so so we are so one of my best friends, who's um who's doing another startup here, and he. His vision is, you know, in order to do that, you're going to get other technologies involved, like like blockchain, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So blockchain technology would be one of those things that will allow you to do this because if you think about stocks and, and you know, what you actually hold as a series of risk and contracts, mm-hmm. right, and the value of, of what you, what the price you put on these risks and, 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 and having them contractually sort of set in a technologically driven what we call smart contract form mm-hmm. right then things could be run a lot more efficiently yeah. right and and I think that's right so at the end of the day it's just about look the reason why I'm doing all this stuff in finance is sort of like saying it's sort of like trying to take away my future job <laughs> for myself because I don't think that it should play as big of a role as, as it, it does, does. Yeah, right. I couldn't agree more, and I think I think that's awesome that that's kind of your perverse uh, yeah. mission there. But in, in doing so, you're creating uh, probably a more fulfilling and meaningful job for yeah. yourself in, 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 in what you're doing. But it's like a it's like a cop who's trying to create a system where there's going to be no no more need crime. for cops, right? right? Yeah, yeah. Which is a noble effort, I think. Right. But uh, what's encouraging now about the latter example I gave was just that uh, now it seems like there's a couple of startups around the world that are and then regulations are changing, albeit slowly, that are allowing for kind of crowdfunded equity investment. I think if we yeah. fast forward 10 years with something like that, yeah. we may get into a space where the situation I described walking out of the office here today yeah. might be, you know, with, in conjunction with blockchain technology or whatever, whatever right. else might be actually possible. Uh, speaking of Bitco- uh, blockchain and Bitcoin, mm. I can't not bring it up in this discussion because in China it's such a fascinating yeah phenomenon uh mm. represented in bitcoin what's what's your take um what kind of role does it play in china you know what do you see as the future of cryptocurrencies or bitcoin well in I, china broader world one of my friends the same guy i was talking about he has a he has a very noble vision he envisions a world where you can anyone anywhere in the world can buy any asset 
for any small amount of investment, um, you know, with very limited risk, right? Like credit risk, mm -hmm. um, and uh, and for a very limited risk, and essentially, just uh, anyone uh, for any asset. I, I don't know if I already said that, but so it's anyone from anywhere in the world uh, buying any asset for any small amount of uh, amount of money yeah. um, and a very limited uh, risk. Mm -hmm. Okay, and in order to do that, you will need to have a, a sort of a globalized type of currency, mm -hmm. right? Um, so that's why he was involved in bitcoins and, and blockchain and all that. Um, I think I think some of those things can be done, right? Mm -hmm. But I find it to be very hard to envision a world where a currency like like Bitcoin, uh, crypt, any cryptocurrency, can be mainstream. As long as you have, you have lines that's drawn across nations, mm -hmm. you have armies in the world, you have political um, realities that, that are at play, mm -hmm. it's very hard. I mean, to, to get a nation like China or US or any powerful nation to give up the right to issue their own currency and to have a, you know, a third-party sort of free-flowing currency out there. Now that they have the the power to uh, to, to to issue their own currency and right. to give that away, I just I just can't I just can't see that. It certainly doesn't seem like it's a change that would come from the top, like from from the regulatory position. Because of course, when you can o issue your own currency. You have a lot of power and control, and you know I don't, yeah. I don't see countries giving that up. But do you foresee any circumstances where it's like a grassroots thing, where be because it's so decentralized, I mean, if enough people use it and engage in it, at the end of the day, money is just basically an agreement, right? right. So if enough people engage in that agreement, is it possible, do you think, that a global cryptocurrency, Bitcoin or not, or, or some other, could I think, emerge? I think, I think it's, it's definitely possible. It's yeah. definitely possible, um, but not as close on the horizon I, I, as many it's, people it's think. It's definitely possible, yeah. and and I think it has to be regulated yeah. as well. And the, the the fact that that in most places it's not regulated is is actually a barrier for its development. Yeah, um, because it facilitates you know evil doers to you know to buy you know, guns and drugs mm -hmm. and you know and illegal prostitution and all, all those things, right? Yeah. Um, but. It's, and once it goes into regular regulated space, I I think it's going to be tough. I right. mean, like I can't it's imagine. Twenty two there. Yeah, I can't yeah. imagine like a situation if, if in the foreseeable future for the United States or, or China to say to actually not want to not want to like limit. No, I don't think it, that will ever a, happen. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it'd have to come by some other means. Yeah, you know, but I think I think and whether the regulation is born out of the market or the crowd in some way yeah. or the network uh, who, who knows but the, the, what, what do you what, what, what's your take on it in China because it's gotten a huge it became hugely popular China is the biggest country for mining yeah. transaction wise almost nothing but in terms of speculation trading and mining it's enormous here you know I mean, do you I'm have a, a perspective on I'm Bitcoin not a in Bitcoin China? expert but but I know based on what I know I know enough um, and I think that's you know Early in 2011, we actually um, spoke with some of the Chinese government people mm. about the emergence of Bitcoin, mm -hmm. right? And it, back then, 
I'm like, what is this thing? I'm like, what is yeah. nerd <laughs> yeah. money? Yeah, what is this thing? Like, whenever I'm like, virtual currency. It's like, what's what is that? I'm like, virtual currency has always existed. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. like you know when you pay online credit cards. It's all virtual currency. Yeah, you know, um, but it's it back then we we'll call it. It wasn't called uh, cryptocurrency. It was, it was just like virtual currency, right? Yeah. So the um, they were at first n- not they didn't think of it very seriously. But because of how fast it developed in terms of the amount of interest uh, domestically in China, so immediately it be- it, be- it became viewed as a threat. Right. Right. So not too soon, not not too uh, um, far after that, it was uh, it was it was banned. Right. Um, I think there is still a lot of effort in China um, to you know in, the, the, in mining for uh, Bitcoin and. There's a sh- still a very sizable Bitcoin community here. Mm-hmm. I, I honestly I don't quite know about where that's going to go, the future of it. But what I'm more interested in is the, is the blockchain technology that underwrites that, mm-hmm. right? And that I think will change the way, fi- will change the financial system. Well, that's the thing that's getting most traction from the established financial players, right? Yes. Like a lot of the existing financial institutions globally right. are interested in trying to implement blockchain in some way into their existing framework, right? right. Not so much Bitcoin, but the blockchain but backbone, as it were. The, the, the economic reason, right? Uh, if economic speaking, they don't want to give out the economic clout. Um, that's one reason. But the problem is we do live in a world that's not – Purely dominated by economics, uh-huh. right? Um, there's there's realities like murder, right? Like drugs, right? Like uh-huh. kidnapping, like you know, like crime, right? Which um, which you know, some of them are born out of economic realities, but but the existence of such things yeah. means that if you have a currency that can be freely flowed into and out of the hands of these people, yeah. right? Then essentially every sort of money laundering law that's ever been set in place is sort of, you know, useless. But true. But do you think it has that much impact? You know, like if, if you know, crime happens with U.S. dollars just as much as, yeah, big Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies. You know, I think crime happens is the moral of the story. I don't know if the currency no, you, you, facilitates you, like an acceleration or an amplification of no, that. No, no, you're, you're right. I, I, you're, you're absolutely right. Yeah. I mean, from a pure if you look at it from a global pure statistical perspective, it w- it probably wouldn't be uh, a driver of increasing crime. Right. But let's say if you were to swap out all the currencies for Bitcoin, yeah. then you would have one less way to catch these bad guys. It probably wouldn't impact you know the the, the bigger point that much, but the political fallout from that right. will be much more amplified than the actual impact of it. Right. That right. I I have no argument right. with. Yeah. And since since Every, since the general population never really think in terms of science and data and you know and what really is objectively true, right. rather than you know attaching New, themselves to what flash. seems to be emotionally you right. know like skewed, right? You know you will always you will always they will always succumb to the fear of that of yeah. the political the political impact. I mean Donald Trump, right? Oh man, <laughs> <laughs> it's unbelievable what's going on right now. Um, all right, so. I appreciate the time you've given me thus far. We're not going to go for too much longer. I've got a couple of just kind of bullet questions here for sure. you. So I'm going to hit you with them. Answer how you like. Okay. Short and concise is best. So what is the hardest part about being an entrepreneur in China? Mm, the hardest part? 
it's it is very difficult to adhere to your principles of wanting to change the world. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's actually a much longer story than short and concise. Yeah, uh, go go for it. Um, what you I feel like let me MySpace fintech right. It's called internet financing China, uh-huh. and there's a reason behind that. Because the level of, of uh, innovation happens at the front end, at the internet level, uh-huh. right? There's very little upstream innovation because everyone's chasing short-term profits, mm-hmm. right? So if you – what I've been telling people is if AlphaGo was actually not a London-based company invested, bought by Google, if it was just a domestically China-grown business and it was – putting this thing out there, and if they were meeting with investors, Chinese investors, institutional investors would be like, okay, how big how big do you think this Go market is in China? How many <laughs> Go software can we... Like, they would not understand and see that it, it's not for playing Go, right? It's like right? a humanity sort of... Play- it's, it, that's <laughs> training for the future because it's going to be applied to biotechnology, right, right. You know, in pharmaceuticals, you know, like in life science, you know, like in various places, right? The showcase of technology yeah, that could do exactly. other things. Yeah. So that's the problem with, with us. You know, if you're an entrepreneur in China, you are, no matter how noble and how fantastic your ideas are, you're very much likely to be forced to start thinking short-term profits right. by your investors. Right. And you will find yourself, you know, lying awake in bed thinking that I have betrayed my own principles. Uh-huh. You know, this is not why I started this. So then you have to make compromises um, because you have to start making the short-term profits first and then go back and do what you really want. Yeah. yeah. Now, can, can you – Change that, or have you been able to manipulate that in your favor by seeking outside funding that have a more long-term approach? You know, to use the most famous example, something like Amazon just went on forever without making any money because they were building something that, in the end, would would be tremendously yeah. powerful. Are, are you able to work with external investors that see that? Yeah, we we have a very good external investor today, uh-huh. uh, JD Finance. So it's the finance arm of JD.com, right? right? Um, yeah, and they're building they're building tech driven finance. They, we have the same vision. Yeah, they're investing in us. Beautiful. Uh, and um, and yeah, and they were like, just make sure your products are awesome. Right. Right. Don't chase after short. So was that a shift? Where did you go from investors well, before that were kind of pressuring you into to capitalizing early, and now you're working with someone who's going to support you in the long term? Yeah. Well, look, the that it's it's very good. We found JD Finance, but for two years before that, we're we're self funded. Right. Because it was so difficult to find. Investors who bought your vision, yeah. right? And um, so, but I was very lucky to have a, uh, a partner who has, you know, money yeah. to to support our development. Uh-huh. And we were we we essentially self funded ourselves for two years, mm-hmm. right? Which was a lot of money, yeah. right? And then we got to, got to this place where we actually could show a lot of stuff. And JD, we're lucky enough to have met. JD Finance, and you know we share the same vision, and so we're working on a lot of stuff together. And so, will you stay headquartered in China? You mentioned earlier you had global ambitions. Would being in a in a in a more in a different environment be more supportive of what you're trying to do? If you look, if you if you set your sight forward, I think w- what's happening here is changing. Right. right? A lot of That's the, the only constant here sometimes it seems. Is, yeah, is exactly. Yeah. So, so if I were to if I were to move, let's say, to Silicon Valley, right, um, I think I'll be missing out on what 
the future this place can offer, yeah. which is the stuff I talked about, right? I think that will change dramatically. Yeah. Like as more of our companies like us come out, you yeah. know, where upstream innovation is where the real value is being derived from. Yeah. And a lot more people have a lot more comfort to come here and say, look, you know, we are here not for short-term profits. We want to build something that changes the world, yeah. right? And there are going to be investors who say, you know what, I want to back you on that, yeah. right? Because we're seeing how other money has has made a lot of profit by backing similar companies, yeah. and that that's going to change. And um, and I'm I'm willing to continue to be here and, uh, and grind it out until then. <laughs> yeah, and and I'll, I'm I will take that bet. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I think it's probably a good bet. I mean, if you just even look at the number of investors, angel, institutional venture coming into this market over the last three years, tremendous increase in the amount of interest yeah. in, in these markets. So with that increase in sheer numbers, you're going to get more people that are able to see visions like the one you're talking about, a longer term vision, yeah. something more even perhaps altruistic or with an altruistic element, not just yeah. money, 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 w which may have been the case you right. know, in, in days, in years well, past. Also, there is a very, there's a very encouraging trend uh, especially for Shanghai, mm -hmm. there is a, a very large expat entrepreneurship community yeah, here, yeah. and it's growing yeah. very much. So people around the world are seeing opportunities here yeah. in Shanghai to to build their businesses. Yeah. I mean, there are still like systematic uh, problems within within China, sure. you know, bureaucracies and everything. But that's that's being that's changing as well. Right? Yeah. So so yeah, I, I don't really see the status quo as a constant thing i see it as a changing uh element that's that's got a trend for the future yeah for a much, much better future and the thing you know whenever i get down about uh things in china you know whether it's doing business or working whatever when i think man you know why is it like this, this is so frustrating yeah i'm encouraged just by how rapidly things can change it doesn't yeah. mean they always will do so when you want them to but it, it can change so quickly, you know, right. and maybe one day it is that thing you want to change and right. you wake up and it's like, oh, it's a totally different paradigm now yes. and it's awesome. Yeah. You know, and I'm, I'm always encouraged. I mentioned this a lot on the show, but it's, it's particularly relevant having a discussion about fintech. But just, the, you know, let's say take payments, for example, like mm. WeChat and Alipay and things like that. You know, in, in the West, to get the type of adoption on, on the type of scale that they've achieved here and they appear... I mean, they could not do it in the same period of time. But here, mm. it just seems the the population for the last 50 years, the constant has been change. And right. so when whether it's change through innovation or, or anything else, when it emerges, it doesn't seem like it comes with the same amount of maybe discomfort or re mm. reshuffling as it might in more developed markets because right. there's less of a legacy and there's more right. of a, a, a – they're more used to it. Right. You know, so the things, you know, if, if it's legit, if it works, if it has value, right. they take it up. Exactly. Um, if you had 100000 to invest in Chinese equity markets, how would you invest it? Mm. With all the insight that you have. How would I invest in it? Mm -hmm. um, it depends on where I am, wh how old I am. I know there's a ton of variables. How long do you invest for? What your goals no, are? Blah, blah, blah. I think if I were a young kid, yeah. for 100000 I will use our. Um, Let's say you're 25 years old. 25 right? years old. Yeah. I will use my Quant platform, mm -hmm. right? Pump out um, to build their own strategies and put that money through that. Yeah. If I were a 40 or 50 year old individual, um, 
I will likely to use a common something that we're going to put out very soon, a sort of a fund of funds of of uh, mutual funds uh -huh. uh, type of product, right? right? Based on interests that you have, and then we'll build that out. So it's much more longer play. Right. If you are a high, if you are a um, college student, right, who's extremely risk loving, uh -huh. right, and let's say. You have a hundred thousand, or you're a very wealthy college student. But let's say you have <laughs> even less money, or yeah. let's say you have a thousand, two thousand US dollars. Yeah. Then we encourage you to use something like Topold, uh, Topold Trading, which is uh, my friend's uh, platform. Okay. Allows you to trade global um, uh, assets uh, for for the, with the same rules, and then you can do by single units. So, so the initial investment amount is very tiny. You right. can use like five bucks to buy an Apple stock. Really? Yeah. Um, Okay. So it's very interesting. Um, Top hold. I have to look into that. Yeah. So if so, with the example of the twenty-five-year-old with hundred k or ten k, or doesn't really matter. What kind of with the tools that you have at your disposal, what kind of returns would you be aiming for with an aggressive risk? Uh, you know. So, I, I think what we should be looking for is um, you want to you want to outperform the general market, mm -hmm. right? I mean, there's a lot of volatility in, in this market, but. Um, I don't really believe in absolute returns because everything has to be on a relative basis. Mm -hmm. um, so as long as you're outperforming the uh, the market by a few percentage points, right, um, five, ten percent, five points, then you're you're in pretty good shape. Right. All right. Um, how would you how would you characterize Chinese financial markets? <coughs> I know that's a fairly broad question, but just if you could sum it up for people that aren't living in China, that don't have much experience with it. How would you summarize the Chinese financial markets? Uh, retail driven. Um, it regulation makes st regulation extremely stifling, mm -hmm. um, and uh, and it has a lot of a lot of room for innovation. Right. Um, what was the hardest part about taking the entrepreneurial leap, and what would you say is one of the biggest things you've learned from doing so? Uh, the hardest. Like getting I'm started, making the commitment. Yeah, that that wasn't very hard for me, because I I I really like to take on risk uh -huh. and do do things that are, you know, I, I like to do things that are quite um, big and uh, and interesting. But what was really hard was, um, you know, there's going to be times right when it seems like everything is just not going to work shit. out, <laughs> um, and. You have about a week left, you know, of of, uh, of cash in your bank, yeah. right? And um, and people are quitting, right? Because uh, you know you're not paying the, you know, competitive salaries, yeah, right? And uh, and everything that can go wrong is going wrong, and you know sometimes people are just like, you know what, it's too much for me, right? Yeah. But I think that old adage you know when the going gets tough the tough gets going uh -huh. really applies here do you do anything specific when it seems like all like it's closing in from all sides is there anything and it can be anywhere from you know going to the gym for a workout or what like is there anything in particular a shift in your mindset that when everything seems to be going wrong you put into gear that you could share with us or is well I do this thing. I'm like, are you a man? Are you a man? <laughs> <laughs> Suck it up. <laughs> if you're a man. <laughs> and no, but, but 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 one one thing I do is I one thing I like jokes aside. One thing I do is um I 
I found myself extremely privileged and blessed, um, and um, because there are there are people who have it much worse, you know, around sure, the world, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, just looking at the what people are doing for pure survival, yeah. you know, like there's like forty percent of the population, global population, is in poverty, or you know, what people are doing for so people are walking hundred miles a day in order to you know to just get water or go to school, whatever, you know, yeah. and well, this is nothing, so right? Putting it in perspective, yeah. If you yeah. if you can't even suck, you know, suck it up. Yeah, I'm sl- I'm sleeping in a nice bed, right? And yeah, I might have one week of money left in the bank, but I have a week of money left in the <laughs> bank, right? <laughs> yeah. So you know, you got a week to figure things out, yeah. right? So it's um, you know, put things in perspective. It's sure. And 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 Ray was saying when she was on the the podcast a couple of weeks ago that. You know, and for for most of us that go, or for most people that go at the entrepreneurial, take the entrepreneurial leap, like worst case scenario, you have to swallow your pride and go back to your mom and dad and be like, can I crash in the basement for a little while while I get my shit sorted? You know, because I I, I went for this thing, it didn't work out. So that's kind of like worst case scenario in in terms of what could happen. So, which as you were just saying, is not that bad when you put things in perspective. So if it, if it, if that perspective, if that kind of mindset allows you to actually go for it when you think you should, right. then it's yeah. probably a good one to have, right? Yeah. Um, what is the most common criticism you receive? Me? Yeah. Um, I'm too um, vindictive. <laughs> Explain, th- th- please. Th- 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 I w- this is, and I, I've heard this a lot, and I, I don't really kind of see it, but <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so people telling me, right? Maybe you can give me an example of so when this happened. They they tell me the reason why, you know, I really sort of tough it out and like and just you know always not uh, sort of back down when in the face of adversity is because I need to show to all those people, prove to all those people that who have sort of said, oh, you, this thing isn't going to work out, that thing is not. Yeah, yeah. Why don't you? You have to prove to them that they were wrong. Yeah, and that's a way to you know to vindicate myself, and it's also to like let my success be like the best revenge there right, is. Right, right. I was like, oh, I never, I never realized that. But a lot of people tell me this, and um, and I was like, all right. Well, it's also because they, uh, my favorite type of movies are revenge movies. So they're trying to drawing <laughs> draw like comparisons from right. the two. Yeah. Well, it seems like that kind of stubborn attitude is probably a, a useful one for an yeah. entrepreneur. Yeah. Um, what about praise? What's the most common praise? Um, I think the most common praise is that I, um, I'm sort of fun to hang around with. All right. Fair Uh, enough. Nice and easy. Um, what is the character trait that you are most inspired by when you see it in others? Hmm. Well, inspired, right? I've, I've, I'm, I'm very attracted to ultra high intelligence. Mm-hmm. Um, the, and and I am a sucker for like a Renaissance man type of person. Right, right. So someone who is, who's who's knowledgeable, right, and who seems to be extremely articulate, uh-huh. and about the th- the things that he he knows, and he's able to transcend like common knowledge, mm-hmm. right. And um, and and link things together and make sense of the world in a very um, objective and scientific way, mm-hmm. and that is something I'm very very attracted to. 
Cool. Um, and to me, you know, the opportunity to be in the company of those people and having discussions and debates with them mm-hmm. is extremely illuminating. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of the primary reasons I started this podcast, actually, for the very same reason. Um, do you consider yourself in that category? Or do you aspire uh, to be? I, no, I really aspire to be. Um, I, I think it would be a addicting to say that I, oh, yeah, I'm definitely <laughs> one of those people. Renaissance man <laughs> over here. <laughs> um, yeah, and I think um, also, you know, uh, just pride is a very, I mean, ostentatious pride is a huge turnoff. Right. Right. Yeah, I agree. Um, what do you do when you have no idea what to do in business I I, I I have I'm very lucky to have very solid partners right right so I'm not afraid to seek advice uh-huh. um, but you know oftentimes I, I've I would sort of think things through and um, but I, I like to get different perspectives right right so that's I think that's pretty common but I don't like to, I like to seek advice from my wife and like um, from people that I find to be extremely intelligent to mm-hmm. see, you know, what they have to say. Right. Um, what is your highest ambition for yourself? Now, this can be personal, business, physical, spiritual. What is your highest ambition for yourself? Um, I want to I be able to bring that level of uh, fair playing ground to finance mm-hmm. and at the same time be like, physically ripped (laughs) (laughs) fair enough all right i like that as well um which superhero indulge me on this one which superhero most accurately reflects who you are and why so not which one you would choose to be yeah which one most accurately reflects who you are okay um i think i'm more like a um like the incredible hulk because I thought, I, have, you were, I thought you were going to say that for some reason. I don't yeah. know why. Because I am super into science, uh-huh. right, into the logic, and I'm very – there's a very nerdy part of me. Mm-hmm. And then there's this – also this, like, very pugnacious, you know, like, part of me, like, a very combative <laughs> part of me as well. And, yeah. I, and then, you know, and I also would like to be extremely ripped. <laughs> <laughs> Again, with the ripness. <laughs> Um, if you absolutely had to trade places with someone, who would it be and why? Gun to your head. Um, I like to trade places with my wife. Mm. Um, so she can hang out with you all the time? No, because <laughs> I, I think, I think I don't, I think because a lot of times I'm very sort of, you know, um, I, I don't want to be like, uh, you know, too, I, I, I hate people who are, you know, very sort of sexist and all that stuff, but. I, oftentimes I come across as being very, you know, macho or, or like, yeah, hey, don't worry about it, just do it this way. And like, and I, it would be nice to be, to put my head in her perspective uh-huh. and get a bit a greater appreciation, you know, for like the world that she's seeing. Right. Um, and I think that would actually, you know, bring a level of humility to me, a better level of humility. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Um, what is something? I'm borrowing a question here from Peter Thiel. What is something you believe that very few people agree with you on, if anything? Uh, something I believe that very few people agree with me on. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. <laughs> it's tough. Okay. 
Um, I believe, and this is very out there, I believe that one day, in order for the human race to, to continue to be competitive, it would actually need to merge with technology. Mm-hmm. Um, and this sounds outlandish, right? To some. <laughs> but if you look at the advancement that we're making yeah. um, in, in the labs of all these universities around the world, uh, Johns Hopkins is building arms, robo arms, that's linking to your brain. So you can control your arm that, in your hands and fingers mm-hmm. as if it's your own, own arm. They've just recently uploaded memory to, to rats, which allows you to be able to fuse essentially biological and you know and m- machine memories. Um, they just mapped out uh, dreams, you know, in the uh, from a, a graphic perspective, dreams in the peop- in human mind. So, if you were able to store your memories, right, in the machine. Mm-hmm you can actually achieve immortality and then you can, <laughs> you know, so this is the, t- it sounds like science fiction, but. Well, but it, I mean, I'm, I'm sure to some people it does, but as we said, you know, a few minutes ago, it seems like we're both kind of intrigued by um, AI and things like yeah. that. And if you're in that kind of world, it's really not that far fetched and it yeah. seems to be drawing ever closer, ever more quickly, right. you know, and, and as you say, to even to maintain competitiveness in a landscape where we don't just have human intelligence, perhaps like yeah. a, a diversity of, of uh, intelligences. Yeah, I think you're right. I think we, we will have to merge in some way. Yeah. There's lots of moral questions. There's lots of technical questions involved therein, yeah. but there will be have, there will have to be some type of merger. Right. Um, that but, takes place. But also, I think morally, um, I, I'm not worried about moral questions because m- morality shifts over time, mm-hmm. right? It used to be extremely okay to stone a person to death because <laughs> they worked on Sundays, yeah. right? Now it's like, now it's, <laughs> you know, it's wacky, right? <laughs> you know, that's something that Donald Trump will do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, just out of curiosity, have you seen, have you come across the Wait But Why article on, uh, on artificial intelligence? Wait But Why is a blog. They do like extremely long blog posts. I came across it recently. I haven't, I haven't e- Elon Musk uh, tweeted it out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it just talks about that kind of trajectory. Um, and just, anyways, I'll leave that for another time. But sure. how, how, how artificial super intelligence yeah. um, may be a lot closer than we think and then just... The, the amazing implications and fun imagining what that might mean when it arrives. Oh, I'm, 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 I'm looking forward to it. I think, and one of the things I think we are really blessed or my generation is really blessed is we are actually seeing through, in one lifetime, we think shifts of multiple generations. Yeah. You know, what, what used to be multiple generations. Yeah. You know, we, I've seen, having been a young Young child in Shanghai, I used, I've seen rickshaws, right? Like as a common um, really? transportation method, right? When I was very young, uh-huh. right? Uh, when I went to Sichuan, like rickshaws was like there was it was very common. So um, they had like um, it, someone would pull it, and then there are other ones where there was a bike attached to it. Um, I've seen you know from there to the you know the the early the 80s when everyone like wore the same thing yeah right um i've seen how like how australia was when um when everyone was so when when chinese people 
uh, went to universities there, they were back then, you know, Australian years, they were viewed as the, the way that they view Muslims or Mexicans today. Really? Yeah, as, you know, the, I, obviously that's not the right view, but, yeah, yeah. You know, but you know what I mean? Yeah. So, so I've seen, like, the shifts in, um, in the world, um, and, and going forward, I'm only 35, we're going to be able to witness how the type of unimaginable changes that, was on, that can only be sort of, that can only uh, manifest in movies and books, yeah. you know, become a reality in our lifetime. I find it to be super exciting. I, I find know. it to be super, super blessed yeah, me to too. live in this era. Me too, man. And, and, and it's fact, funny you mention that because in this particular article, the way that they talked about that very same concept, the analogy they drew was, I, I can't remember exactly how they labeled it, but it was like a death from astonishment unit or something like that. Yeah. And, and the guy was saying, like, if you wanted to, and basically that meant, like, if you took a caveman and you brought him to first century Europe, yeah. things would be so different. He'd, he might just die from astonishment, right? right. And, but as we progress, the period of time required to, uh, to create a death from astonishment unit yeah. is shrinking, right? So from caveman to whatever, you know, mid, mid-century Europe, and then from, let's say, the 1600s to today, yeah, right. you'd probably die from astonishment because it's so different. Right. But now we may be looking at like a 30, 40, or 50 year period where previously it was like right. two or 300 years and right. then 20,000 years and then 100,000 right. years. Now it may be 50 years or 40 years where 40 years from now you literally cannot imagine what things will be like. Yeah. Amazing. I, I agree. All right. A uh, couple more questions. Yeah. Uh, one to three pieces of advice uh, to your 20 year old self if you could call up your 20 year old self and give yourself some uh, guiding words uh don't do a business degree uh-huh. um the futurizing technology engineering and um and in in hard sciences right right and math is key so i did i i was very good at math when i was in high school i, did, I took a lot of the college math uh you know well not not a lot but just like uh you know calculus um so i didn't have to do any math Right. right, and I just wanted to focus on getting a undergrad business degree at University of Michigan Business School because it was like one of the top business schools out there, and you, you almost guarantee get a um, a well-paying investment banking job. Yeah. Right. Uh, in hindsight, that was extremely short-sighted, uh-huh. um, and uh, and I would, if I were to do this all over again, right, I would be probably doing engineering. Computer sciences, life sciences, you know, and putting my time in hard sciences. Right. Right. Anything else for your 20-year-old self? Uh, don't feel too bad about cheating on your girlfriend uh, <laughs> because she's probably not going to be the one you're going to marry. <laughs> All right. I haven't heard that one before. Um, three pieces of advice for people that are looking – or three pieces of advice you could give people to just kick more ass in life. So perform better at work, business, physical, whatever, relationships, just anything that you've done or noticed that you do this, you perform better in whatever arena. Yeah. Um, I think the, uh, one, the top one is to train yourself to constantly ask why and to, to reexamine um, commonly understood causal relationships, mm-hmm. right? So a lot of times people will tell you this. The reason why I'm doing this is because it's always been done this way, right. right? 
that is a, to me, that would never fly here. In our company, don't ever tell me that's always been done, right? right? Tell me why this is done. Because a lot of times you'll find the tectonic plates underneath the, the, uh, the causal relationship that started that relationship, right, would have shifted. Yeah. So what was, what was applicable for this particular action is no longer applicable to today. Uh-huh. If you actually examine the underlying why you're doing this, right? So a lot of um, wrong uh, you know, choices are made because people think in terms of, uh, people are informed so much by their, by their experience, mm-hmm. right? That they no longer think, uh, uh, no longer think actively um, about what the underlying causal relationship is. Um, and by doing this exercise over and over again in your head, you find yourself to be a much better and much much better thinker and much more discerning decision decision maker. Mm-hmm. So that's one to kick ass, you know, from a from a uh, thought process perspective. Yeah. Physically, lift weights, man. You know, it's always <laughs> the best way to kick ass. <laughs> lift weights and number three, you got um, a third one in you. Uh, I think uh, number three. Uh, I don't have a number three. No number three. Yeah. Okay. So the last few questions are like rapid-fire word association. Okay. So no time to think. I'm just okay. going to hit you with them, all right? China FinTech. Underdeveloped. R&B. Undervalued. I'm Bit- sorry, overvalued. 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 Bitcoin. Uh, interesting. Gold. Gold standard. Chinese investors. Fickle. Entrepreneurship. Hard, but the way to go. Future of money. It's the same as today. China scope. The best thing there's going to be. <laughs> well, Tom, that's all I got for you today, man. I, I really appreciate you taking the time. Um, is there any information, URLs, emails, anything like that you'd like to put out if people want to get more information about what you guys are doing? Or sure. Like um, look, we are we're our products on different websites. We're consolidating them right now, um, so it's going to be consolidating in about a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, so go to www. How many W is that? Four, three. W, three W's, <laughs> three W dot. It's four now. <laughs> <laughs> iChinaScope.com, um, and uh, and you can see our stuff there. Right and now it's in Chinese, but you know um, Google Translate it. Or, right. Uh, Is there any other languages coming down the pike? Yeah, for, yeah. For it's going to be English very soon. Later in the year. Dual, dual, like ang- dual language. Yes. Cool. Um, if you have any questions, you can email me at tom.liu at chinascopefinancial.com. Sweet. Well, Tom, thanks again for coming on, and uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. We will see you guys next time. Thanks, John. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Tech in Shanghai podcast. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe to us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Tech in Shanghai for everything tech from Shanghai and China. See you next time.